This is a Moraine Valley Community College Library event podcast. For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu slash library. We're going to go ahead and get started. Uh, good morning. My name is Mary Fee-Fleece. I'm an instructor of history, and I'm also the coordinator of global education. It is my sincerest honor and pleasure to welcome Mr. Simon Dang to Moraine Valley Community College's campus. Um, Simon Dang, I first heard of him, I was telling him on the way over, I first heard of him in 2006 when I heard about this man who was walking from New York City to Washington, D.C. to highlight the current crisis, the terrible atrocities that are occurring in the Darfur region of the Sudan. Um, and Simon's connection, obviously, to this is uh, very personal. He is a refugee from the Sudan and is a survivor of child slavery. Um, I, it is a, an absolute pleasure. I can't even begin to tell you uh, how thrilled we are to have him here today. Um, he was honored recently uh, by the Anti-Defamation League as a hero fighting against hate and intolerance, one of four who was selected. And I don't want to take up too much of his time because I want to give you the, the full hour of his time, but Simon uh, will, would prefer to take questions at the end. And uh, I, I can't wait to hear what he has to say. So, so please welcome Simon Dane. Thank you very much. Good morning. Thank you for having me here today in this unique, wonderful college. It is an honor for me to be here, and most important, I am very humbled to be among you. By inviting me here, you have given me a chance to be the voice of those who have no voice. My name is Simon Deng. I'm from Sudan. I'm a Shuluk by tribe, and I'm a Christian. The topic of today is the crisis in Sudan. But before I touch those crises, I have to tell you about myself. I was born in southern Sudan. As a child, the language my mom taught me, or the first thing my mom told, told me, is when you see the government troops coming, you have to run and you have to run for your own life. And I will never forget the day when the government troops raided my village, in which two of my best friends were shot before my own eyes, running, seeing them falling down. It came to my mind that I'm going to die today. And most important, for those of us who still remain running, each one of us assume that he will be falling down next, or he will be the one falling down next, because we see our dear friends falling down before our own eyes. That day, everybody spent the night in the bush, because it is the place where the safety is always, 
In the morning, the elders have to come back to the village to find out what left after the destructions. In my village, we did have two elders. Usually when people run, they don't run because they are too old and weak to run. That day, those two elders was born alive. When we talk about burning people alive, for those of you who come across the work of one man, Brian's ex-Marines, sons of these beloved nations, when he was on the ground in the regions of the Western Sudan, in the region of Darfur, with a small camera, and he went along to take pictures because he realized there is something wrong going on. And it was because of those pictures that he took. The other one today is the evidence to the world that the crime was being committed by the government of Sudan. And that crime is, need to be called by the right name as genocide. Unfortunately, in the southern Sudan, we didn't have brines on the ground. And that's why... You will never ever see the image of those two elders that I'm talking about. You will never ever see the image of my two best friends that being shot before my own eyes. Or even you will never see me running, seeing all the bullets falling down. I survived being killed, but unfortunately I didn't survive to be taken to the slavery. After my dad took his family to the city of Malakan in the southern Sudan, it was in that city where I was kidnapped by an Arab man, and he took me to the northern Sudan. When we arrived, his relative was so exciting to see Abdullah came back from the south, and most important, he brought two slaves. I didn't know what the meaning of a slave, leave out that I'm going to end up as a slave. There was an argument among the family who is going to take the stronger boy. I was nine years old, the other one was ten and a half. In the end, they settled among themselves and we was being divided and I end up being given away as a gift. To most of you, when we talk about gift, usually we look about a commodity that you have to buy something, wrap it up, give it to somebody that you admire. But today, my fellow human beings, you're looking at a human being that happened to be a gift one day, which happened to be me. And most important, for most of you in this college, when we talk about a slavery, every single one of you is assuming always you have to read a book so that you talk about what it means to be a slave. Yes, absolutely you're right. When we assume that slavery is the history of the past, but unfortunately, when it comes to the case of Sudan in the North East Africa, slavery still exists, and slavery still exists up to today. 
And I am standing before you this morning as a living proof of the slavery in Sudan. I was in Sudan in May, in which I was part of liberating 200 fellow human beings, people that looked like you and me, in the hands of those who called themselves as masters, those who called themselves they are better than a black persons. I'm talking about people who call themselves an Arabs. The crisis in Sudan did and it started in 2005, 2003. The crisis in Sudan goes back way back even before the time of independence. Sudan got independent in 1956 and the crisis started in 1955. Before I go there, most of you has to wonder when we talk about the slavery, and everyone have to ask himself at the age of nine, what do you have to do? Which is a good question. Knowing that to have somebody as a slave, somebody who is not being considered as a human being, somebody is considered as a, a piece of commodity, somebody who is not in a position to say no when he is being forced to do things that a human being even should not allow to go there. I am the first to get up in the morning and the last to go to bed, even that I don't have a regular place where I consider as a bed like a human being because I was not being considered as a human being. My place is the place where they keep the animals by itself. I have to make sure that place is clean because I have to spend a night there when the sun goes down. In that village, in the northern Sudan, they don't have running water that, it, like in a big city. People get their water from the river Niles. And at that time, the donkeys are the ones doing the job, carrying the water from the Niles into the houses. But since they have a slave in that house, that job become mine. Honest to God, it is not a work that can be done by the human being. Leave out that by a child that happened to be nine years old. But what choice do I have? Because I was not being considered as a human being. I was kept under terror. I was beat constantly, even that I did nothing wrong at all. Somebody may decide to call in Arabic, Dugal Abit, beat the slaves, and that's all it takes. Somebody may decide to say, I call you, but you didn't say yes so loudly. What do you have in mind? And that's all will it take. In other words, as I mentioned, I was constantly kept in that position so that I cannot realize that I'm a human being. I have to rely on the leftover if, when people eat, and that is my food because I cannot share even drinks 
water in the place where they drink their water. Leave out that that water was brought by me. So when we talk about the ruthlessness of the enslavement, I know every single pain of it because I have been there. I didn't have friends to talk to. I didn't have anyone where I can turn. My friends is my patience and my hope in God assuming that somebody will realize one day that a human being should not be subject to what I'm going through. Leave out that a child like me. And that hope came when, when that family, their sons, have to go to the junior high schools in a big city. It was in that big city where I saw the three gentlemen. They have Shuluk tribal marks in their forehead. That's why I mentioned in the beginning that I'm a Shuluk by tribes. I didn't have those tribal marks that you see today. I went to them because to me when I saw them, it was the sun's come out from nowhere, in which I was very exciting to see a group of human beings have a sign of the tribe that I belong to. I went to them to tell them where I come from in the south, my father names, my mom named, the village that I came from because I didn't have anything to prove to them. All I have is to convince them. And one of them said to me, we know somebody who come from the village that you mentioned to us. I got disappointed. Another man put his hands on my shoulder to tell me that, don't get disappointed, don't cry. Because we don't know you. All we know is a man who comes from the village that you mentioned to us. He will be the one who will determine whether what you're telling us is true or not. We met in the following days in the same locations. When I saw them, it turned out the same person they were talking about is somebody that I know from my village. He was the one who took me out from the slavery and even before that, when he saw me, he broke down in tears, crying, because he could not believe his sight to see a child that being already considered a dead child, and now standing in front of him. My father did put an offer, ten cow, to anyone who will come forward and tell him about his sons, and that person will be rewarded ten cows. Two years come and pass by. Nobody came to claim the ten cows. And my family went to put together funerals that their son is no longer alive, but nobody knows how he died. This is the crisis in Sudan. When it comes to what happened today and what is known to you in the West, and thank God because of the work of one man. The problems in Sudan didn't start in 2003, as I mentioned. In 1956, the war started in 1955, whereby that the government of Sudan slaughtered one and a half million southern Sudanese in the southern Sudan's and that war went on for 17 years. 
my fellow human beings, and my fellow Americans. That by itself, one and a half millions human beings, people like you and me, if we don't call that as a genocide, how do we call it? That's it on a pathetical question. There was peace agreement being signed in 1972, which became known in Sudan as the Sababa Agreements because it was signed in the capital of Ethiopia, where the southern Sudanese felt that the north are genuines when it comes to the issue of peace that people have to live together as people in one nation, regardless of their religions and regardless of their color. Again, they was wrong because the same government that signed peace with them is the one who decided that Sudan is no longer to be the way it is because they want Sudan to be an Islamic state. And Nimeru went on and declared Sudan as an Islamic country. The southern Sudanese felt that how come Nimeru will introduce the Sharia law as the law of the lands, knowing that there is a good agreement that people agree that they stop the bloodshed in that country. And Nimeru have to win to explain to the nation to justify his position why he wants to introduce the Islamic law. As all you know, by the way, Sudan is the only country in the nation of Africa as an Islamic state, a black African nation, by the way. Numeri said, and I quote him, these agreements that being talked about by the Southern Sudanese, it is an agreement in the paper that's signed by me by the, with the infidels. And that's what exactly his word. In which he went on to explain that he had every right to change his mind. And for those who will not follow the law of the lands, which is the Sharia law, he will declare jihad on them. And he did exactly that. In 1983, the jihad was declared in southern Sudan, on southern Sudanese, on Christians, that being considered in that country as infidels by the sitting government in cartoons. And they went out ruthlessly, even most important, they even recruit every single young man in the schools to join the army in which, for the first time, we did have more than three million soldiers. And their mission is to do one thing. Go into southern Sudan and do everything that a human being cannot even imagine. Kills. Rape. No accountability. Because they're doing it in the name of the religions. Two million southern Sudanese was slaughtered, in which the whole world was watching. The United Nations, and everybody was watching, and everybody have the figures that I have, I'm telling you today in this small college here in Chicago.
and nobody did anything because the war was being waged in the name of the religion but no one wanted to become a close or to come to be accused as anti-Islams or anti-Arabs. You are not anti-anything. You are anti-injustice being committed. But the United Nations again felt they have to be by standard and watch. The government of Sudan went out and destroyed every single village in the southern Sudanese and left 7 million southern Sudanese as refugees. The biggest and the largest refugees since World War II it was in Sudan. Khartoum didn't stop there. They went and give arms to the villagers, people whom are not used to carrying arms. There was now, they are now being armed, and their mission is to go into southern Sudan to loot African cattle, and most important, kill men and women and take the younger one into the slavery. And which by itself, and that is from the United Nations record, by the way, in 1971, 1991, the UN itself was the one who said that in, by their records, you can buy a human being in Sudan for $5. That is the crisis in Sudan. Those Arab tribe that being given arms, they are the ones become known to you today as Janjaweed. My fellow human being, we have to ask ourselves, who are these Janjaweed? And why they are doing what they are doing? And where they, where they come from? Who is supporting them? Janjaweed Or the word itself, Janjaweed, is a nickname. Then who are they? Sometimes it is wrong for my fellows who always tell the world and they don't tell the world fully what we should understand when it comes to the problem in Sudan. And most important about this Janjaweed. I said in the beginning, I'm a Shuluk, but who are these Janjaweed? These are Arab tribes armed by the government. At that time, their mission is not to kill their fellow Muslims in Darfur, by the way. Their mission is to kill the infidel in southern Sudan. But when you give all sophisticated arms to those whom are not being controlled by anybody, anything can go wrong. The meaning of Janjaweed in Sudan, or the word Janjaweed, in Arabic, Jinn Rakib al-Husan, which is the devil rise on horse. But these are the Arab tribes. They are Bagara, Messiria, Rezegat. They are members of the ruling 
government in cartoons and they are in the government of Sudan. Then why are they killing their fellow Muslims? Because as I know in Sudan, those four, those Masalit, they embrace the religion of Islam even better than anybody who call himself an Arab. They worship the religion of Islam like any other African nation in West Africa who happen to be Muslims. But their crime today, they didn't take the whole package. Sudan, they want you to become a Muslim, and most important, you have to complete the whole thing by becoming an Arab. You cannot take Islamizations and leave out Arabizations. And that is what is going on in Darfur. And that is why the African tribe who happen to be Muslims are being slaughtered today. They are not being slaughtered because they are infidels. They are being slaughtered because their crime, they still maintain African culture. They still maintain their language. And to the government of cartoons, that is not enough. You have to give up because according to Dr. Hassan al-Turabi, an Islamic architectural law in that country, that African culture is a savage's culture, needs to be changed and needs to be transformed, in which we have to question the intellectuality of Dr. Hassan al-Turabi. What gift a human being's right to judge other human being their culture. But in Sudan, calling yourself an Arab, calling yourself a Muslim, then you can judge those whom are not the same category that you belong to. Thus leave me Thus leave me with the question that I'm going to force to you. Because most of you have to wonder, then why are you telling us, knowing that that country is far away from us? Sudan and the Western Sudan, Darfur, is far away from us. What do you want us to do? My fellow human beings, I never thought one day from being a slave to the freedoms to have every right that I enjoy today, the right that I never got from the nation that I was born in, knowing that freedom is a God-given right to every single human being. Especially in these nations and especially in this month, at the time to most of us celebrating and most of us always 
equal the names of individuals, people who stood up for freedom. When a sons of this lovely nation said, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere, he was right. He was right. He was one person, but because of his belief in freedoms, because of his belief that what he believed in, it is not something he created, but it is something God given to every humankind that we can look different and still tolerate ourselves as brothers and sisters, as human beings. I'm talking to you today because I become to believe that we living in the nations or in the world that all of us are in it together. And especially being in a free nations as a free persons. In all we agree that it will take somebody who is free to speak on behalf of somebody who is not free. That's why I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you because my fellow human beings, we become to realize and we become to know that when all of us, we the free peoples in the free nations in particular, sit and do nothing, in the end of the day, all of us, become terrified and all of us come out with one word and that one word is I wish I would have done something. I'm talking to you my fellow human being because I believe that what happened in the past happened because the world did nothing. And when Others did nothing. The perpetrator always see himself or herself being a given a green light to go ahead. That's why I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you because what happened in the past because of the actions being taken by the wolves, including this nation that of ours. When Joseph Stalin slaughtered millions, the world did nothing. Paul Pot in Cambodia, the world did nothing. And when evil Hitler started slaughtering innocent peoples, everybody said we should not interfere because he will stop in Auschwitz. He didn't stop in Auschwitz. Because he was doing the evil works on his fellow human being. My fellow human beings, most of us in this room today, in this college, we were aware in Rwanda. In 90 days, 
at the time that the world was watching. And most important, they did nothing, knowing that somebody would have said something and one life would have been saved. The world walked away. And in 90 days, a millions fellow human beings like you and me were slaughtered. We saw them floodings. We saw them being massacred in the churches, in the centers where the UN called them, don't run away, come, we will give you protections. And I personally, I hold the United Nations responsible of what happened in Rwanda because if they would have let those Rwandese run away into the forest, they would have survived like what I did because I survived because I ran away. They listened to the United Nations and the UN walked away from them. And that made me myself that I don't believe in the United Nations. For anybody who believes in the UN, let's go to Rwanda and ask those skeleton bones, do you trust the UN? If no answer coming from there, what makes us to believe in the UN today? Because UN failed me, and most important, UN failed miserably in the continent of Africa. Those who are in the refugees camp today, believe it or not, last year alone I was in Sudan more than four times in refugees camps. Their tears and their crying, not for the UN to come and save them, they are crying for you. They are asking you to be their voice. They are asking you to get involved. They are asking you to be the one to speak for them. And that's why I'm talking to you because now since the world's body which is the UN fails, then incumbent on us to have more obligation as human beings, by the way, in which that we don't want to allow ourselves to be bystander. And believe it or not, most of the results which is coming out today, they all came out because you took actions. And you got involved. And you become the voice. That's why I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you because I'm asking you not to be bystander. Believe it or not, my fellow human being, you cannot realize the power that you have in your hands. And most important, being a student in a college, you have a powerful power that you don't realize. You have a power of a pen. I'm asking you to use it. I'm not asking you to go to Sudan and change the climate. I'm asking you to tell those whom we put in a position that we should never ever forget history.
Everybody said long ago, never again. And again is again. Especially when the UN, which is the world body, being run by a nations, those whom are involved at the time when the world talking about the genocide in Darfur, the UN was busy to elect the government of Sudan to the chair of human rights commissions. Let's face it, that's why I don't trust them. And that's why those victims whom are crying now to be rescued, they don't trust you and they trust you. My fellow human being, the tears that I always carrying is not my tears. This is the tears of the child that I left behind in the refugees camps. It's the tears of somebody who lost their whole entire family and tell me that go back and tell your fellow human being, yes, in the West, they care about dogs and animals. Tell them, at least, we are human beings. Why they don't care about us? The tears in my eyes is not going to change what happened to me personally. But if I and you become the voice and take actions, probably we will save one child tomorrow. I'm here to ask you, let's go back and ask the President of the United States. He was the one who brought the temporary peace between the North and the South. Let's go back and ask him before he leave the office, let him finish the work. Because he believed himself that freedom is a God-given right to every human being. Let's go back and hold him accountable for what he said. And let him bring the peace to those whom are now in a desert, in a refugee's camp. Yes, it is very difficult, and most of us always ask questions. What do you want me to do? Where will I start? The questions should be, where will I start? And you can start it from today. Let's ask the President of the United States to revisit the peace agreements that are being signed between the government of Sudan and the rebels in Darfur two years ago, because that agreement was being rushed prematurely, and Khartoum used that to go and divide it, those who signed peace agreement, given, give them upper hand to go and then crush those who didn't sign peace agreement. To me, United States have moral authority, has a superpower of the world. Since the UN fails, the whole world 
will be disappointed in us tomorrow if we fail them. And we, as the citizens of these nations, we have to act and we have to ask those that we put in, in the positions, those we entrusting them with our trust, knowing that even today, all of you and most of us are going to vote. When we vote, we are operating somebody, one person, to be a spokesperson for all of us. And that's why we have to go back to them, even whether we like it, we like it or not. The problems in Darfur need an urgent solution, and the problem in Sudan need to be rescued, because even the peace agreement between the North and the South, which is known as a comprehensive peace agreement, in my opinion, is not a comprehensive because you cannot have peace in one house and then a slaughter in another house. It was George Bush who brought that peace agreement, and he's not being protected today. Let's go back to him to bring a total, complete peace in that part of the world. My fellow human beings, I know most of you have other things to do, but let me leave you with this. Look at your souls and ask yourself the questions as a free persons in a free nations. And ask yourself that freedoms that I am enjoying, it is a freedom that a child in a desert also deserve. I'm asking you to get involved. Because the actions that you can take today, it will save one life tomorrow. And thank you very much. just address uh, this gentleman even that he will not accept the reality because we all as human beings the truth always is painful when I walk from New York City all the way to Washington D.C. I didn't walk on behalf of the Christians, I walk on behalf of the Muslims. Because there was a Muslim child was dying in Darfur 
And I know it because I was there. And I said to myself, this nation that gave me the freedom, these nations that hold the value of life is importance. A nation that I adopted as my lovely nation, I which I'm very proud to be or to call myself an American. I have to walk to let my fellows, elected officials, see me walking, crying, not for one day, not for one week, for the whole month. Because there was a bill sitting in the House of Representatives that for peace and accountability. And because of that walk, pushed the members of the House. Most of them used the work being done by a little boy who did work with me, six years old. And that six years old worked for seven hours. When he was asked, he said, I don't want anybody to be killed, and I don't want anybody to be enslaved. When I finished the work, the house passed that bills because there was money for the humanitarian going for the children whom happen to be Muslims. So what the gentleman is talking about, he doesn't know what he's talking about. When I did walk, and whenever I go there, I don't see that child deserve to be in a condition where he was, and that child happened to be a Muslim. That child did nothing wrong, and most important, when the government of Khartoum did rapes, 11 years old Muslim girls, to produce an Arab child, if you as a Muslim don't see that there is something wrong with it, then something wrong with you. And thank you for the gentleman. Thank you very much, and it's a good question. Believe it or not, if all we know is Sudan is an African nation. Uh, the word Sudan itself is the land of blacks, which is blood soda in Arabic. Uh, if you ask the presidents of that country, who looks even darker than any African American today, he himself doesn't call himself an African. He calls himself first an Arab, and then politically call himself an African because of geographical nature. What happened in Sudan, and that's why I used before Islamizations and Arabization, because these people adapted things which was not there before. Sudan used to be ruled under the kingdoms, kingdom of four, kingdom of Nubia, kingdom of Shuluks, and kingdom of Zandi. All those kingdoms were, were being wiped out in the name that the new culture, which Dr. Hassan et Turabi talk about, that Sudan have to be changed and 19... 86, the Nubian, a quarter million was slaughtered simply because they want everybody in that place to become a Muslim, to change the culture. So what happened in Sudan, believe it or not, has to be rejected by anyone.
It is a crime being committed on innocent peoples and the names of Islam were being used as a tool, as an umbrella to achieve their goals so that nobody will questioning the atrocity that they are committing. But today, to me, is irrelevant. You have 400,000 Muslims already being slaughtered. You have a quarter, one and a half million Muslims today sitting in a desert as refugees. If you, as a Muslim, you don't see that is something wrong, then something wrong with your, the religion itself. Well, that, you have to go and talk to them. Well, I'm just telling you the truth. Can you go to Darfur and can you go to Darfur and can, can you go to Darfur and tell those who 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 lost who lost their loved ones? What do you mean those people are respecting your religions? What do you mean? What do you mean? We talk. We, we talk. My, my friend, we talking about those in those those in Darfur, those in Darfur, they embraced the religion of Islam before anybody in Sudan. By the way, if you need to be taught on that, they they are the ones who embraced the religion Islam before anybody in that part of the world. So for you to say to tell them that what they are acting against your religion, I don't know. You better go and tell them. I was slave for three and a half years, and as I was describing, my freedom came when that family had to move to the big city because their sons had to come, had to, 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 to join the, the junior high school. They didn't have junior high school in, in, in the village that they were in. So it was in that city where I saw the three gentlemen that happened from the tribe that I belonged to. It was those gentlemen who took me out from their slavery. Otherwise, if it was not them, I wouldn't be here today. No, no, they didn't question me. What happened was that he was afraid to go and talk to, to them that they know me. Because if they would have done that, this family would have taken me somewhere else where I wouldn't be here today. Because their intention was that they want me, if I want to be treated as a human being, I have option which is on the table for me. To become a Muslim, change my names, and become their sons. I was ready, by the way, to take two, which is take the religions and then become a Muslim. But how will I change my identity? And that's itself it scare me the most than anything else. And to, at that time, all I have to tell them, because I don't know how to say no, all I know is yes to everything, is I will let you know, and I will let you know. To me, I was buying times. And that time came when, that, when they have to move to the big city, 
in which that I saw those three gentlemen that I mentioned before. Mr. Simon Dang for traveling from New York to come here to speak, for, uh, speak to us today, and I think it's been a very insightful um, talk. And uh, to echo his message, first of all, before I say that, I would like to thank the library, Dean Sylvia Jenkins, my colleague and friend Troy Swanson for sponsoring this event here. And it's important to get awareness of things, and it's okay to have dissent. It's okay to be able to talk about these things, but we have to be able to be open-minded and listen to what everybody has to say. We are out of time, sir. We are out of time. You've had your say. Thank you very much. Thank you. So on behalf of Moraine Valley Community College, I'd like to thank you so much, Simon. If you have questions for Mr. Dang, I think that he is willing to, uh, we can talk for a few minutes. Um, so please, uh, please stick around and ask some questions. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this Moraine Valley Community College Library event podcast. For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu library.